Am I on? Okay. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, I spent two weeks, almost two weeks, in the San Diego area where I had uh, cataract surgery on <clears throat> July 7th. And uh, I went back the next day, and they were a little concerned with the uh, pressure in the eye that they performed the surgery on, so they gave me some special drops and told me to uh, uh, stick around for another week. So I had to stay a week longer than what I would have liked, but uh, it's been a success. You know, the, uh, sur the eye is fine right now. So thank you, everyone that uh, has prayed for me. Uh, the only disappointment is I seem to be more dependent than ever before on reading glasses, so uh, got to have those. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. I'm going to read the story of uh, the uh, birth and uh, some of the early life of Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25 should be fairly easy to find since Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Reading from verse 19 and going through the end of the chapter. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padam Aram, sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated by him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and the matter of people shall be born of thee. And the one people shall be stronger and the other people than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days were to be delivered, anyone who's had kids knows this. You know, I, I talked about this in an earlier sermon that I preached here. You know, kids uh, don't uh, just, you know, they, uh, you know, learn how to talk. And the first thing they learn is, our Father who art in heaven. No, kids don't learn that, do they? Instead, they learn this little four-letter word, M-I-N-E, mine. That's my book. That's my toy. You know, this is my life, you know, that, that kind of thing. So don't let anybody fool you. The carnal man is in there in each of us from the very beginning. And that's the way of mankind since the fall happened. You know, before the fall, man is uh, manifested by Adam, walked with God in close spiritual fellowship. But now, 
All of us are born selfish, we're born self-serving, we're born self-willed, self-centered, and in a state of rebellion against God. And that's really what sin is all about, brothers and sisters. It's rebelling against God and always wanting to get our own way. Now, it manifests itself in the, the, the gross sins, the, the works of the flesh, but that's basically sin is an attitude, rebelling against God. And we're born with that, and the spiritual man does not manifest himself until later on, and only really comes to fruition, true fruition, at the new birth. John chapter 3, uh, verse 3, you know, except a man be born again, or as uh, pointed out in the Sunday school class, born from above is the way the Greek reads. Born from above, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. But the carnal man, even after we were born again, the carnal man and the carnal nature are still there. When you become born again, you alter your destiny, but you don't alter your nature. Just because you have the new birth doesn't mean the battle between the carnal and the spiritual is over with. It's not finished. And each of us will have to fight that for the rest of our lives. And, the, you know, I called it a witness stand here, the Apostle Paul. You know, I'm not going to read the passage. It's a rather lengthy passage in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. But he talks about the very, that very fight that was going within him. So you might want to make a you know, note of that uh, particular scripture and look it up at your leisure. Next slide, please. <clears throat> so the battle between the carnal man and the spiritual man is going on, and it's a battle that we must win. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man sows, uh, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, the carnal nature, the carnal man, will from that nature reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. Now this follows along here with what Paul was talking about at the end of the previous chapter, chapter 5 where he lists the works of the flesh, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, and the fruit of the Spirit, 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, as I mentioned in the Bible, a lot of people in the Bible illustrate this battle. And I've chosen one particular pair, Jacob and Esau. So let's examine their lives and find out what we can learn from them. The first thing we see in Genesis 25 about them is that they are twins. Next slide. And they're struggling with each other even while they are in the womb. Verse 22. So the spiritual struggle begins even before we were born. David says in Psalm 51 verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Esau, who was the firstborn, 
is a type of this carnal man, and Jacob, the younger one, is a type of the spiritual man. And Rebecca can feel this struggle going on in, inside, in, inside of her womb, and she asks God, what's happening here? God's answer, there's going to be two sons that are going to be born, and the elder is going to serve the younger one. The younger is going to be stronger. Jacob was the spiritual man. You notice I didn't say that he was a good man because he wasn't a particular good, particularly good man, as we'll see. Instead, he was the godly or the spiritual man of the two of them. And he's the one that God says will eventually win this struggle. Meaning this, that the spiritual part of you will be the one that wins out. Provided, of course, you uh, feed him the most, like the white dog in our illustration. So let's look at the lives of Jacob and Esau closely and kind of get the uh, big picture here. First of all, Esau, who represents the carnal man, wasn't really that bad of a guy on the outside. You know, he wasn't lazy. He was always going out hunting. He wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't a murderer that we know of, though he certainly could have uh, uh, taken care of uh, uh, Jacob if you read the whole story, you know, later on. And he certainly had cause to, to uh, do him in, too. He wasn't a, an adulterer that we need. I know that, uh, no, I know that uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 16, you know, kind of talks about a uh, uh, fornicator or um, a uh, profane person like Esau. But the way that it's worded there, I don't think it, it's indicating that he was guilty in any way of sexual immorality. He wasn't a thief. On the other hand, Jacob was a liar. Jacob was a cheat. Jacob was a schemer. And he himself was a thief, if you study uh, their, their lives. So let's get this one thing straight. When God gives the final assessment of the pair in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, which quotes... Malachi verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, you don't take that literally that uh, God hated Esau. It just means that his love for Jacob was so great that his love, corresponding love for Esau seemed like hate in comparison. And you say, well, how can God say something like that? easy. He looked in on their hearts. You know, when uh, God spoke to Samuel, when Samuel went to anoint King David, you know, uh, Jesse brings Eliab, the, the firstborn son, and he's a big, strapping, you know, good-looking uh, man. And Samuel says to himself, 
surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But then God spoke to him and said, don't look on him, you know, don't look on this outward appearance because I have rejected him. And then he uh, gives that, that uh, scripture that I learned, you know, many years ago when I was just a boy. The Lord uh, <clears throat> looks not, uh, you know, the, the Lord does not see as man sees because man looks on outward appearance, but God looks in on what? The heart. That's what's important to God. It wasn't because of this outward appearance then that made Jacob better than Esau, but it was something that was deeper that was manifested in their deeds. And we see this in the story there that I just read. It's found in Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. Let's go to that uh, uh, reading from the King James. And Jacob boiled pottage, and Esau came in from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means red. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit is this birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob uh, gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, rose up, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. You know, when I was preparing this message, I thought of an article that I had uh, read some years ago. And it uh, concerned Ryan Leaf. Anybody out there a football fan? Anybody know about? Yeah. Anybody know about Ryan Leaf? Well, you know, I'm from the San Diego area, you know, and so I grew up, you know, I've been a uh, San Diego Chargers fan, you know, since, you know, uh, for over 50 years, you know, and that's probably older than uh, most of the people here. Okay. <laughs> well, pray. Pray for Ryan Leaf. He's the one that needs it. But anyway, uh, this is right after Ryan Leaf had his latest run in with the law. And, you know, he was uh, drafted number two in the 1998 draft, right? Right behind uh, uh, Peyton Manning. But the two of them could not have been more different in the way that their careers uh, turned out. You know, while... Peyton Manning's out there setting all these records. You know, uh, Ryan Leaf has had to spend a lot of time languishing in jail because of uh, a problem with uh, prescription medication. Now, that's what the article is about. And uh, there, there are some really interesting things. I'm going to read a little bit from the article here that has a lot of relevance to our uh, uh, discussion here. Uh, you see, the problem was that Ryan Leaf had some problems. You know, he had a lot of raw talent, but he had a lot of personal conflicts. And this is what the uh, writer uh, uh, writes here. People knew something did not feel right about Leaf. He did not show up for his, the interview with the Indianapolis Colts at the Combine. He had a rep as a punk. He showed up for work, workouts a little chubby and a lot out of shape. 
There were red flags everywhere, and general managers, most notably Bobby Bethard in uh, San Diego, ignored them because they wanted Leaf to work. They saw all the, ta the talent, and they figured or hoped or just needed to believe that uh, Leaf would be different once in the league. They pushed their doubt aside. People always show you who they are. Listen. I heard it from a former cow for, from former Cowboys coach Bill Parcells as it relates to football players. Uh, Maya, Maya Angelo, Angelo and Oprah have made this sentiment famous, but I doubt Parcells was paraphrasing them. He was talking about a guy who showed up overweight at a workout. This was his job. This was his chance to make a first impression on bosses. And what he is telling you that is that he does not care. Don't be mad, Parcells explained. Listen. And I would add to that, observe too. It's great life advice, really. It applies to the person you are dating, your buddy, your boss, and yes, your quarterback. If a girlfriend cheats, that's who she is. If your boss never fights for you, that's who he is. If your friend is constantly flaking on plans, that's who he is. And if the guy you want to draft in the first round has baggage, it is coming with him. The lesson from Parcells was not that people cannot change. And we know that that's true. You know, everybody can change. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. You know, if you have the desire to change and you rely on God and feed that spiritual man inside, you'll change. You know, if there's baggage in your life, it will change. But don't be surprised if that person that you're counting on does not change. Be okay with dealing with whatever is forever. With whatever it is, you know, if it's forever, just be okay with dealing that. That's why you're careful, you know, before you really make commitments, you take a look at their lives. Don't sit around waiting for the person to change simply because that's what you want. Now, that was true of Ryan Leaf, and it was, it's true of Esau here, too, because Esau had a problem with his heart. People always will show you who they are. Listen and observe. Isaac never did, er, I'm sorry, Esau never did, as we are going to see. Now, what do you see here in this little story? What does Esau do? He gives up his birthright, which was the most precious possession he had in life. For what? For a bowl of beans. And Paul's scathing denunciation for this kind of people is found in Philippians 3, verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Their God, uh, I'm sorry, we should be in the next slide. Okay, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Did you catch that last phrase, brothers and sisters? 
their mind is on earthly things. Next slide. And look at the lame excuse that, you know, Esau gives for selling his birthright there in verse 32. Behold, I am to the point to die. What profit is this birthright to me? You know, I'm going to die, you know, if I don't get food. Uh, you know, a little side note to this fasting. Isaac was, or Esau obviously was a stranger to this. And look at the result of this kind of flippant attitude that he had in verse 34, first part of verse 34. It says, he ate, he drank, and he went his way. No big deal. No, this is only my birthright, that's all. No big deal. The last sentence of verse 34 is so telling, and it shows what God thought of this attitude. It says, thus Esau despised his birthright. I think that's one of the most tragic verses in Scripture. He despised his birthright. So you see what the main character flaw of Esau was. The promises of God meant nothing to him. Nothing. Next slide. And that's true of the carnal man or woman inside each of you. The carnal part of you, that black dog, cares nothing for the things of God. And the question is, are you going to let that carnal entity inside you rule your life? That's what Esau did. Do the promises mean anything to you? The promises of God, the promises that God gives you, do they mean anything to you or do they mean nothing? You've got a birthright too, brothers and sisters, not only to make peace with God and receive the gift of eternal life by being born again, but you've got a call on your life too. The prophet Jeremiah had a call on his life. God told Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I called you and anointed you to be a prophet over my uh, nation of Israel. Uh, Paul said that, you know, God had separated him from his mother's womb, and that was his call to preach his gospel to the Gentiles. And I don't believe that Jeremiah or Paul were any better than any of us. You've got a call in your life too, and if you don't know what your call in life is, then it's high time to get into the uh, prayer closet and to find out what it is. And then you can live it out. It should mean something to you. That's your birthright. Now, what does God, uh, next slide. What does the Bible say about this episode some 2,000 years later? Well, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12 verses 15 through 17. The inspired writer, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, so we'll just say the inspired writer writes, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who 
for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So the blessing from God came later on, and Esau missed out on it. Next slide. Let's look closely at this passage in Hebrews 12 and see what we can learn from it. We see that Esau is called godless here, and he failed of the grace of God. How is that possible, to fail of the grace of God? Well, the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Esau did not have faith in God or the promises of God, and so that's why he failed of the grace of God. If you backtrack to the chapter, uh, in one chapter in the book of Hebrews to chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is called God's Hall of Faith. Now, we've got a Hall of Fame in Washington, you know, for our uh, leaders. We, those of us that are sports fans like me, you know, you got Cooperstown for the Hall of Fame for baseball and Canton for uh, uh, the Hall of Fame for uh, pro football. One of these days, I'd really like to go visit those sometime. But God, uh, God's Hall of Fame is found right here in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's more accurately called God's Hall of Faith. And God's Hall of Faith is held up by two pillars, brothers and sisters. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And pillar number two is verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You see, Esau did not please God because he had no faith. He had no faith in God's promises. If he couldn't see it, it didn't exist. Next slide. And what this whole 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews is all about is found in verses 13 through 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. People that say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? Hebrews 11 is all about faith. And notice what it says about those there in the hall of faith. It says that they died in faith 
without having, to re having received the promises. They saw the promises from afar off, and they were persuaded of them. That is, they were convinced that the promises were real. And because they were convinced of that, they embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. And they were seeking a better country, a heavenly one. You ever hear of people say, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know, I don't believe that's, that's really true. I believe that if you are truly heavenly minded, you're going to be plenty heaven, uh, earthly good. It says, God is not ashamed to be called their, their God, and he has prepared for them that heavenly city. You know, the, one of the final uh, verses in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, says, Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Esau didn't think that way. And as a result, he missed out on the promises. Next slide. So he's not in the hall of faith. His name is mentioned but it's mentioned in conjunction with Isaac's faith and Jacob's faith, but not his. Jacob is in there twice, once for dwelling in tents with Isaac and uh, Esau, but secondly, for blessing his sons. The blessing that he received that should have been, belonged to Esau, he passed on to his sons. So he passed the torch on to the next generation. You know, brothers and sisters, there's two things we've got to do here on earth. We've got to accomplish what God has for us, and then we've got to pass it on to the next generation. Not only our physical children, but also our spiritual children, those that we lead to Christ, those that we patiently disciple. I love uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 2. <laughs> where Paul tells Timothy, this is the end of Paul's life too, the last book he ever wrote was 2 Timothy. His martyrdom was uh, only maybe weeks or even days away, we don't know. But this is one of the things that he wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. So you've got four generations there. You've got Paul, you've got Timothy, the, you've got Timothy entrusting that to reliable men, and the reliable men teach others also. Four generations there. That's your legacy. Next slide. <clears throat> and this brings up the next point, your posterity. Your legacy should be important to you, brothers and sisters. What did uh, Jacob and, uh, Esau and Jacob do about this that shows their character? What kind of men they were? Well, in Genesis chapter uh, 26, verses 34 and 35, we read this. And Esau was 40 years old when he took as his wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Bashit. Bashimath, the uh, daughter of Elon the Hittite, who were a grief unto, of mine unto 
Isaac and to Rebekah. So what does Esau do? Well, he marries two women of the pagan Canaanite people who lived in uh, the area. They lived nearby. And these people were really ripped. You know, they incorporated uh, such things as sexual immorality and human sacrifice into their worship to their gods. And even though he knows this, Esau goes out and marries two of them. One was bad enough, he goes out and marries two of them. Now, uh, uh oh, is right. Now, two things are revealed here. Not what, only was his own spiritual life not important to Esau, but he also didn't think it was very important for his family. One thing to keep in mind here if you marry a person, you marry their spiritual background as well. And this is something for, uh, you know, young people that you have to consider when you think about uh, uh, the person that you're going to marry, you know, what is their spiritual background? You know, even if they're a believer, they, they've still got their uh, past life and uh, that of their family. That can come back to haunt you. So, young people, the number one thing you should look for in a prospective mate is their spiritual life. And don't let them shine you on either, you know, just to, you know, try to uh, be spiritual to impress you. Again, people will always show you who they are. Listen. Some, bit, some you know, young person says, well, I want to marry her because she turns me on. Or, you know, uh, I want to marry him because he just makes my uh, heart do flip-flops, you know. <laughs> Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, once the infatuation is over with, then you find out, you know, maybe the full story. Now you know the rest of the story. And that's why Paul's solemn warning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I recall the story of a uh, uh, pastor, and she had, uh, or he had a young uh, parishioner, a uh, woman, who uh, was bound and determined that she was going to marry this non-Christian man. And, uh, you know, he called her in for a counseling session and, you know, she was just determined, you know, I want to marry this man. I'm in love with him. And finally he could see he wasn't getting through to her. And so he says, uh, would you do something here? Would you stand up on my desk? Well, she reluctantly got up there. And he looked at her right in the eye, reached out his hand, and he says, now, Grab my hand up here. And she grabbed his, his hand and he said, now pull me up. And she said, but I can't, Pastor. You're too heavy for me to pull you up. He said, you're right. I am too heavy for you. But I can pull you down. Without the godly influence in your life, your spiritual life is bound to suffer. 
And it'd be a lot harder for you to pass on those spiritual values to your children. Second of all, next slide. Esau showed a complete disregard for those that were godly in his life, namely his father and his mother. You look there at uh, verse 35 of Genesis 26, who were a grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Also, chapter 27, verse 46. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. That's referring to the uh, uh, Canaanite women that Esau had uh, married. If Jacob take a wife of the, the daughters of Heth, such as these that are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? So there's the lesson here. Learn to listen to the godly people God, uh, that God places in your life. He puts them there for a reason, to keep you on the straight and narrow path that you are to travel. They may not tell you what you want to hear, but more than likely, they're going to tell you what you need to hear. Esau didn't listen, but Jacob, on the other hand, did. He went to his grandfather's uh, family and uh, married <clears throat> um, uh, of the uh, members of his uh, grandfather's clan. And what happens? You know, later on, Esau wises up somewhat and he marries one of his cousins. Verse 8 of uh, chapter 28, And Esau, seeing that the daughters of, Isaac, of, of uh, Canaan pleased not Isaac, his father, then went uh, Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had, uh, uh, two of the uh, uh, daughters of, um, of uh, Ishmael, um, they were actually Egyptians. You know, uh, something that, that's interesting here is, you know, Esau finally decided to, to maybe please his uh, uh, father and mother, but he still didn't care about pleasing God and choosing his, his mate. That's what you have to think about. You have to please God when you choose your mate. He wised up a little bit. There's a little bit of godly influence. They both had uh, Abraham for a uh, grandfather, but his new wife's brother was an Egyptian, and her grandmother was also Egyptian. Egypt is symbolic of the world, so these were worldly people that he was taking on as family. And the damage had already been done. If you check out Genesis 36, Verse 2 through 5, you'll find out that Esau had five sons and four of them were born to the Canaanite well, women he married. Last slide. So the conclusion of the story, throughout their lives, Jacob and Esau were constantly fighting for supremacy among themselves. They struggled with each other even before they were born and they continued fighting for who was going to be on top who was going to be blessed. <clears throat> but it was God who had the final say, and he did it on the basis of which of the two followed him. The battle didn't end with their deaths either. Just as God had uh, told Rebekah, both of them became 
nations. We know the story of Jacob's family going into Egypt. Later on, they would settle Palestine and become the nation of Israel. But Esau's family became great too and became the nation of Edom. And Edom was constantly, if you study Old Testament history, was constantly a thorn in Israel's side, siding with their enemies. So what does it mean to, to you? It means that you've got this spiritual battle within you too. One side is that black dog, not and that black dog necessarily does not necessarily, is not necessarily that which causes you to do evil. But more importantly, it's that which is causing you to do that which is not godly. That is, that which, uh, which does uh, not promote your relationship with God. It will try to crowd God out of your life. Esau was disapproved by God, not because of the bad things that he did, but rather because God had no place in his life. So is this carnal person in your life causing you to ignore, disregard, and even despise the things of God and God's plan for your life, causing you to neglect spiritual things like reading the word and going to the secret place of prayer, causing you to disregard God's plan and purpose for your life? Are you living for what pleases you or what pleases God. Esau lost out because he gave in to his carnal desires. That is the things of this present evil world rather than looking for that heavenly city to come. Here we have no, no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And you know, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that we're leaving this life. So look to, you know, for the city that has foundations, that whose builder and maker is God, rather than to build up your own kingdom here on earth that is one day going to pass away. People live for God and not for that which pleases self and the carnal nature. Let the Jacob inside of you win out and not the Esau. Let the spiritual person win over the carnal nature. He will if you let him, if you feed him.